Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. My name is Andrew Woods, and I have the joy of serving as one of the elders here and the associate pastor, and it is my joy this morning to bring to you the word of the Lord. As we begin, um, I would have you open your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is where we will be spending the majority of our time at this morning, and before we get a long psalm. So I'm going to read it all to you right off the bat. So read along with me in your Bibles, Psalm 37 of David. Because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out his evil devices. Refrain from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times, in the days of famine. They have abundance but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his child begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever." The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree but he passed away and behold he was no more though i sought him he could not be found mark the blameless and behold the upright 
for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I know typically we start with an introduction, but I felt like that was a psalm we we had to read in its entirety. And this morning as we look to dive into it, must confess we're not going to be able to hit every single high point of Psalm 37. But what we're going to do is we're going to focus and you'll see how those will help us with the rest of this psalm. But as we go into Psalm 37, it sets a context for us that is probably really similar to something that you have experienced in your own life. What we see in Psalm 37 is this idea of the wicked prospering, the wicked winning, and what we are to do as believers when we see what seems like evil people winning or prospering or doing well. How do we respond to that? And I know it can be easy for us sometimes as we see somebody who we know to be an evil person or lack integrity or not being a believer in God, but all of a sudden they're doing so well, it can lead us into two kind of paths. It can lead us to a path of anger or it can lead us to a path of depression. Pack this this morning, we can't take this out of the context of Psalm 36. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we went through Psalm 36. What Psalm 36 did was paint a context for us between the wicked and God, between the shallowness of sin and the weight of the steadfast love of God. And it is from Psalm 36 that we now move into Psalm 37 with the practical application If we saw Psalm 36 as a way to unpack God's immeasurable, precious, and continuing steadfast love, application of how we do that as believers amidst circumstances that are bad. How do we live out this faith, this trusting in the Lord, amidst what seems like the wicked or evil or bad winning? And that is not a novel idea. That is something that has been happening through all redemptive history and and we see quite clearly laid out for us this morning in Psalm 37. So as we dive in to exposit Psalm 37, we know that this is a psalm written by David and it's a psalm written by David in his old age. So he's got that old man wisdom get to draw from this morning. And what we'll also see from Psalm 37 is that it is an acrostic psalm. And so what is happening in the Hebrew is that it's actually going through the Hebrew alphabet. Every sentence is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And they did this as a way to help people memorize and also know where to find certain psalms in the Psalter. And so with all of that, let's jump in then to the beautiful psalm that we have before us. It begins with these very simple words, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of wrongdoers. We get this, we get this idea of fretting right off the bat. Fret not about 
evildoers and be not envious of what they're doing. So when we look at this, when we're trying to unpack fretting, first of all, we see that it has to do with us being envious or coveting or wanting something that someone else has. And within this context, it's dealing specifically with those who are evildoers or wrongdoers, people outside of God. And he's saying, don't be envious of what they have. Now he'll continue. So fret not is repeated three different times these first 11 verses. It begins with not being envious, and then he continues to unpack it. He says in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not in his way. So then when we look at this second unpacking of fretting, what we're coming to see is that it's not just being envious, right? Not just coveting what this evildoer is doing, but it's coveting that they're being prosperous, that they're having prosperity, that it seems like they're doing really well. Either they're rich, either you know, they're really healthy, their family looks perfect, all of those things. And as believers, it can come really quickly for us to say, I want that. I wish I had that. And we'll see what fretting does. Because fretting, being envious or covetous of the prosperity of the wicked, actually brings with it a really interesting idea. Because fretting, you might think of as, as being nervous or anxious or, or being consumed by something. In the Hebrew, fretting means to get hot. One who's fretting. He's getting hot. He's getting upset. It's starting to build up within him an anger because of someone else. So this fretting that's being repeated isn't just being anxious, but it's actually becoming angry. It's a buildup of anger. So fretting not. Oh, and we see in verse eight, what he's getting to. We're not to get hot, get angry, get mad, get all built like a boiling pot of water that's about to overflow with anger because evil people are seemingly winning. They have all of these good things that we want, so we become envious of them. But then verse 8 says, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. That's really interesting. That this idea of being envious of someone else's prosperity is because that is going to lead us to evil. And what we see connected in verse 8 with the third fret not this morning, what we see connected to it is an imperative from God. It is an imperative to say, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. This is a commandment that God is giving those who might have a propensity to fret. So speaking not only to the people here in Israel, but it's speaking to us this morning. That we would not become angry over what we would see as someone else being prosperous. So if we're working on a definition of fretting, if we're trying to build a definition of fretting, fretting would, uh, if, if we're trying to build this up, fretting would mean to not be envious of the prosperity which would lead us to become angry or wrathful. If we're trying to understand what we are not to do in fretting not, it is becoming envious of the prosperity of the wicked that would lead us to anger and wrath. But then that begs the 
Christian. But why not? Because it's hard. It's hard when we see others prospering or doing well and we want that. Why shouldn't we fret? Why shouldn't we get upset when we see wicked people prospering and we want to see the godly prospering? Well, number one, this fretting tends to lead to sin. When you become angry, and you can have a theological debate over a godly anger and a non-godly anger, but for the most part, when we read in Scripture, it's specifically talking about our sin. It's talking about our sinfulness. Our anger does not lead to the righteousness of God. And so we don't to sin for understanding why shouldn't we be a fretful people because of the steadfast love of God. 36, we learned that the was immeasurable, precious, and continuing. Can you guys hear me better now? Maybe a little bit? It's in and out. Can you hear me now? Oh. Okay, well, it's going to be hard for me to, to go with that, but I, I, I'm glad you guys can hear me. If you hadn't heard me yet, sweet, it'll be okay. God is sovereign. He is good. Okay, so we don't fret, right? Which is being envious of the prosperity of the wicked, which will lead us to anger or wrath. So we're not fretting over that. And the reason we're not fretting over that, because our anger, our wrath will lead us to sin. But not only that, but we remember the steadfast love of God that we read about in Psalm 36. And so Psalm 36 helped us remember that the steadfast love of God reached to the heavens was as high as the clouds, it was as deep as the oceans, and it was impenetrable as the mountains, right? So it was immeasurable, it was precious, it was continuing. And since that is the case about the steadfast love of God that we are reminded of in Psalm 36, we remember the justice of God is like the depths of the sea. And that's why Psalm 37 picks up, don't fret. Don't fret about the wicked. Why? Because this is what is in store for them. I'll just read off in rapid succession what Psalm 37 talks about. Well, first off, it says they will soon fade like the grass. They will wither like the green herb. They will be cut off. The wicked will be cut off. The wicked will be no more. In fact, the Lord laughs at the wicked because he sees his judgment day coming. The wicked's hopes of destroying the righteous will then be their own destruction. The arms of the wicked shall be broken. They will perish. They will vanish. They will not be found. Transgressors will all together be destroyed and the wicked will be cut off. Now just think of that as you begin to fret over the prosperity of sinful people that you wish you had that can lead you astray like a sheep. We see in verse 28 of Psalm 27 that God loves justice and he will not forsake his saints. So as easy it is for us to become discouraged at the prosperity of others, we remember the steadfast love of God. And we remember a couple of weeks ago that the steadfast love of God is his faithfulness to always come through on his promises for his people, for his name's sake. 
So if God loves justice and he will not forsake his saints, we can rest easy, we can fret not. But he doesn't just leave us with a a command to say fret not, but he actually gives us positive commands in, in Psalm 37. He tells us, okay, amidst these circumstances, this is how you are to live. Not just not fretting, but he tells us what to do. And so you'll see from verses 3 through 11, we are going to enter into a time in this psalm of just imperatives everywhere, which means they're commands from God, and they're just sprinkled all over this section to help us know how we are to live. And the very first thing, as it should be, is trust in the Lord. This seems so simple. But what better remedy for the sickness of fretting than trusting in the God whose faithfulness reaches to the clouds? The more that we know God, the more that we can trust him. If you look in Psalm 37, if you were to jump all the way to verse 31, it says the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. So we see trusting in God is relying upon the words of God, knowing the words of God, and knowing that he will come through in his faithfulness. It is a trust that is built up over time by reading your word, by being in prayer, by being in this community, by seeing God continually coming through with his faithfulness. Now, it gets even better in verse 3. And do good, right? So the, uh, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouse speaks. I was having this conversation with a friend over coffee earlier this week. We see that as we love God and as we are consumed by him, out of our heart comes good things, comes righteousness. So David is telling these people he's writing to, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. We're going to come back to land. That's a really important idea here that we're going to see repeated. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now, this was too good, guys. As I was studying this week and I was looking at befriend faithfulness, I thought that was weird. I don't know about you, but when I read it, I'm like, how do I become a friend of faithfulness? How do I befriend faithfulness? I know this is poetic language, but that was hard for me to understand. So looking at the Hebrew, I saw that the word can actually be translated shepherd faithfulness. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Shepherd faithfulness. And as you keep digging into the word, it actually means to protect, it means to feed, and it means to lead faithfulness. Because that's what shepherds do, right? They protect, they feed the sheep, and they lead the sheep. And so now David is telling you, if you are to trust in God, you must shepherd your faithfulness to him. You must actually put in effort to following the Lord. You must protect yourself from idols of the heart that are so easily creeping in, so easily can lead you astray, or like wolves, they want to attack. They want to tear you away from the one true living God. You are to shepherd your faithfulness. You are to protect it from these wolves that seek to devour your heart away from the living God. You are to feed it. How do you feed your heart full of faithfulness to trust God. Well, we talked about it already. The law of his God is dwelling richly in his heart. 
You must know God to be able to feed your soul. You must come to church on Sunday to hear the word proclaimed, to, to be able to pray with one another, to hear the Lord's Supper, to be reminded of the work of Christ on your behalf. That is being fed. That is your soul receiving nourishment. And you must be led in faithfulness. Again, being done in, in church, being done in your own personal reading, and being led by the law of God. We are to shepherd our faithfulness to trust in the Lord. And then he continues. So you'll remember two weeks ago, it was like a snowball of sin, right? It was this progression of sin that kept happening that led people to destruction. This is like the snowball of trusting in the Lord that doesn't lead to destruction, but leads to dwelling in the land. We not only befriend faithfulness, but we delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now we got to be careful with this one, right? Because we've seen this one manipulated. Maybe you've manipulated it in your own heart. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. I just need to trust God really quick. And as soon as I do that, I'm going to get all the things that I want. I am going to become prosperous. I won't have to envy those people anymore because I'm going to get what they got. So I'm just going to go ahead and trust God. I'm going to delight in him just for a little bit. And then I'm going to get the desires of my heart. You are misreading this song, you are misreading what it means to delight yourself in the Lord because there is a progression there in the delighting. You delight in the Lord and as you do so, your delights become His delights. When the Word of God is dwelling richly in your heart, it actually does something. It doesn't allow you to continue after those false shallow idols of your heart, your own desires, but it leads you to desire the things of your Lord, your God, and your Savior. And as you delight in that Lord, in that covenantal God, you begin to see new desires as you are given a new heart as a believer in God. You, your desires become his desires. So we see this progression of trusting in God, doing good, dwelling in the land, and shepherding faithfulness, and we start to delight in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances. Remember, that's the context of this whole thing. It's not that everything is, you know, hunky-dory, peachy keen. Like, it can be hard, and that's okay. And this growth can still happen, and probably happens even better amidst the suffering. Like we were singing, and be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. Then we commit our way to the Lord. That's our next imperative that we see. That's our next positive command. Committing your way after you've trusted, shepherded, and delighted in the Lord. That means you abandon your own way. The sinful follow his own way. We read that up in not being envious of the evildoer who prospers in his way. That's his own way. But we abandon that way and commit ourselves to the Lord's way. Now, this exhortation to commit one's way to the Lord is not just simple abandonment. It involves full commitment. And the Hebrew word here for commitment actually means to roll away or to cast one's feelings Onto the Lord, those feelings of anger and resentment and jealousy that we give them to the Lord. Have you read the Pilgrim's Progress? 
I think, I think this is a popular book. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, go, go buy it. It will do your soul much good. I'm reading The Little Pilgrim's Progress with my kids right now. It's wonderfully illustrated. It's so pretty. If you don't have that, buy it too for your kids and read it to them. It's so much fun. But Little Pilgrim has been walking around and he has this giant pack on his back, right? It's his burden if you haven't read this book before. And he's struggling. He's sweating. He's a hot mess. And he's trying to get this burden off his back, but it can't come off. He can't get the burden of sin off of his back. So he's continually moving. And as he's moving, he finally comes to the cross of Christ. He finally sees it. And as little pilgrim makes his way up to it, and as he gazes upon the cross, it rolls off of his back. And it rolls down a hill into a grave where his burden was put. And, excuse me, And as we see this commitment to the Lord, we see this trust in the Lord. That is what happens to your burden. Your burden is relieved as you trust in the one true God. And in verse 6, we get the promise, right? It says in verse 5, he will act. And in verse 6, it says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We see this beautiful promise. As you do these things, it's not just you working. Don't worry, we're going to get back to that. But as you do these things as a believer, as you do these things, you see that no matter if it seems like the wicked is winning, and it seems like you can't get ahead, and it seems like the whole world is lifting up other people and pushing you down, God is saying, your righteousness will shine through like the light. And that, again, is that promise of the steadfast love of God that we know is immeasurable, precious, and continuing, and we can put our trust in that love. And then finally, we get to the one that is, I'm sure, all of our favorites. I'm sure we're all super excited about verse 7 that says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This might be the hardest commandment in these positive commands that David is giving believers in God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, this might be the hardest one of these 11 verses, especially for you and me, as our culture has become so intense and so immediate that we tend to think of the Lord in the same way. If I just do this, then he's going to come through and it's going to happen now. If you've read your Bible at all, you'll see that that's typically not the case, that there is much waiting. The waiting in these verses are in context of the wicked prospering. Waiting, hear this, for all of us who are are longing for practical application, waiting is the practical application of trusting the Lord. That's it. You're looking for practical application? Wait. That's it. Wait. Trust the Lord. We want to fix what is happening in our lives, and we are less aware of the waiting for the Lord. And why do we wait? Because we trust Him. Because we committed our way to Him. Because we delight in Him. Because His love is immeasurable, it's precious, and it's continuing. That's why we wait. 
And then we see verse 11. We see what is the promise of the waiting. What is it that we can hold on to? Remember, we, we read about, or we talked about fretting not, because fretting not uh, leads to sin, and here is the judgment of the waiting. Instead, you should... Trust in God, shepherd your faithfulness to Him, delight in Him, commit your way to Him, be still and be patient for Him. And the outcome of that is that the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. We see this idea of peace being the promise of inheriting the land. Verse 37 says, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. We see an inheritance that is waiting for the meek. Now, maybe you are foreseeing where I'm going here as we are looking towards this idea of meekness. But before we do that, I just want to sit here for a second on inheriting the land. We are to act in these ways that we talked about because we live in trust of God's steadfast for those he chooses because in doing so, we are reminded that we will inherit the land. This theme of inheriting the land was an important one for Israel as they were promised as a covenant that they would dwell in the land. This is a motivation for the Israelites to continue living in a manner worthy of their calling, no matter what the circumstances are that surrounded them because God had promised His steadfast love. This idea of inheriting the promise of God. You'll remember that part of trusting in God and doing good is dwelling in the land because part of that promise is already fulfilled. They're in the land. So they're called to do good and continue doing good because of this beautiful promise that God has given them. We too, friends, as believers in Christ, have a promise of inheriting the land. But We'll get to more of that here in a little bit. Because we see this idea of the meek shall inherit it. So we need to understand what is the meek then? Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you how Scripture interprets Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. The words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself incarnate. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. We see Christ actually quoting Psalm 37 in his Beatitudes, a psalm which is understood in Jesus' time as a messianic psalm in its meaning. So here goes Christ giving this Sermon on the Mount, and he pulls from a well-known messianic psalm for himself to tell them, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We see Psalm 37 being an unpacking of what it means to be meek. What it means to be a meek person. This inheritance that that Christ is talking about 
in quoting Matthew or in quoting Psalm 37 in Matthew 5 5 in the Beatitudes in this messianic psalm helps us understand that the inheritance of the land or earth is actually for his followers. It is for those that put their faith in Christ. This inheritance, which is known as a promise of God's steadfast love to enter the promised land, is seen for the believer that they would enter the new heavens and the new earth. See Revelation 21.1. So then, as we've been going through, not fretting, as we've been going through the positive commands of living in light, of the steadfast love of God, his immeasurable, precious, and continuing steadfast love of God, how would we define meek? It's probably important if the promise is the meek shall inherit the earth. We see that the word meek is being described as gentleness and humility with self-control. Gentleness and humility with self-control. Remember the circumstances that are surrounding these people. The wicked are winning. We must have self-control to continue to be gentle and humble. D.A. Carson defines meekness or the action of being meek. To be meek toward others implies freedom from malice and a vengeful spirit. You see, meekness is the ability not to envy the wicked and their prosperity and to turn away from anger and wrath to trust the Lord in his steadfast love because he loves justice and won't forsake his saints to delight in him and commit ourselves to his way to wait on the Lord's justice and be patient when it doesn't come in our timing. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter who seems to be winning. Friends, I got to be honest. Sometimes this meekness seems unattainable. In our time of hyper-intensity, produced by the different forms of media that we consume on a daily basis, it is much easier to turn to anger and wrath when, when things seem like they're not going our way. When this is when we even look not only to the outside world and how they're behaving, but when we look to Christians and how we're behaving. It's so much easier be, to become angry at the other tribe that isn't doing it just like us who doesn't believe just like us to turn to wrath and anger and let that be something that describes us besides meekness and gentleness. But instead of becoming downtrodden because of that, we look to our greatest example of meekness, which is Christ. 1 Peter 2, 23 says this, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore himself, or he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is our example of meekness, of gentleness, of humbleness, of self-control amidst the circumstances we look to the Christ. Now this psalm, like I said, 
So we spent the majority of our time in verses 1 through 11. But as we come to a conclusion, and I know you're like, there are so many other good things in there. Good, go back and read it and get it. Draw more from Psalm 37, and who knows, we might preach there again. But as this psalm comes to an end, we are reminded of who is in control. Although the wicked may be prospering now, it will not always be so. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Friends, as we look to be more meek, we must first remember that salvation, both eternally and temporally, are from the Lord. We cannot muster our own righteousness we can't muster our own delight, our own commitment, our own trust in, our, in order to inherit the land. It is a gift of God by the grace of God for the glory of God. That is what salvation is. Through Christ's wounds, we are healed. It is by Christ's blood that we become righteous. And in His salvation, we find a refuge and a stronghold for our weary souls. It is because of this salvation that we fret not, friends. It is because of this salvation that we trust, that we shepherd, that we delight, that we commit ourselves unto the Lord, that we can be patient and still before God because He is our salvation. Friends, we come to a close, and I'll remind you to fret not, believer, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what you are experiencing. Listen to Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. He is meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, we inherit the land. Because of the meekness of Christ. We are righteous before God. Because of the righteousness of Christ. This morning, if you are outside of Christ, if you do not know Him, I want you to hear this morning that it is only by His blood it is only by the cross that he suffered on for your sake that you are healed, that you can be forgiven of your sin and you are not like the wicked who will be cut off, who will be cast aside, who will vanish, who will wither. It is only by Christ that you will come to inherit the land, the promise of the steadfast love of God. So friends, I beg you this morning, fret not, trust in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see this morning that we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to, to fret on all the circumstances that surround us. Our hearts are so easily run astray to idols, so easily run to anger and wrath instead of being meek and gentle. Instead of having self-control to know that I don't have to take the hill but that Christ died on it for me. Father, may we be comforted 
by the Christ who brings us salvation, who brings us righteousness, who will show us and, and bring forth our righteousness on that day when he comes to, to judge the living and the dead, that our light will shine through. It will shine like the noonday. And we pray this in his name. Amen.